is ARN. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios. High atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. It's Tuesday, the 16th day of January 2024. And this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast dedicated to history, or to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else I want to talk about. I got to tell you, folks, I am sleepy this morning. Did not want to wake up. Um, For some strange reason, I was up in the middle of the night about three four o'clock i was wide awake and and uh i think i got back to sleep shortly before my alarm went off which always makes it a rough day so i am uh i'm kind of dragging this morning and i apologize i just want to let you know right up front that uh if i don't seem to be on the top of my game it's because i'm probably not (laughs) Oh, Squirrel Chatter webcasts every Monday through Friday at 7.30 a.m. Mountain on Twitter, Facebook, and Rumble. And then the podcast is available for download wherever you find fine podcasts. Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. You are certain to find something worth listening to. I guarantee it. All right, folks, here we are on a Tuesday morning. Mm. Coffee is more important today than ever. Tuesday morning, the morning after the Iowa caucus. And as really should have been of no surprise to anyone, Donald Trump won and won big. Um, He brought in over 50% of the vote. I think he had, I heard on one report this morning, he has the largest margin of victory ever in a Republican primary, a challenged Republican primary in, uh, or Republican caucus in Iowa. That, that he, he walked away with it in, in an unprecedented manner as we all kind of knew he was going to. This should surprise nobody. One of the things that that has been evident to me from the beginning is that while Donald Trump is not out of or is not in office and has not been since 2020, well, January 2021, um, because he has not been in office, um, he's not running as an incumbent. But for all practical purposes and, and for the way things are shaking out, he is running as an incumbent. Um, a lot of people have this idea of unfinished business, for one thing. Um, I, for one, believe he, went, he won the 2020 election, and I am not alone. Um, one poll that I saw that was taken to the people that showed up for the caucus yesterday in Iowa said that like 60 or 70% of the Republicans who came to caucus believe that Trump won 2020. So I'm not alone when I say that. And so looking at that and thinking about that, that weighs heavily on the choice that people are making. Um, And Donald Trump is very popular among Republicans or among conservatives, really. Um, Now I've said he's, he's not a true conservative. He actually is a populist. Um, But having said that he, he did more to advance conservative ideas and principles than yeah, the previous couple of Republican presidents did, and I'm referring to uh, uh, the the 
the two bushes. <laughs> um, and, and Reagan's a special case because Reagan, Reagan actually accomplished quite a bit, even though he did not have, his party did not have control of Congress. And he was opposed by many Republicans in Congress. Um, because the Republican Party is not conservative. And we're seeing that. So, but anyway, Trump ran away with it last night. No, uh, no question about it. Um, Ron DeSantis came in second at about 21, 22%. And Nikki Haley, I believe, is like 17, 18%, somewhere in there for third. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy has dropped out of the race after getting like 7%. And uh, I was surprised to see when I was looking at the results that Asa Hutchinson is actually still in the race. I thought he dropped out months ago, <laughs> but he was he was uh, he got less than one percent, but he was there. Uh, of course, Chris Christie got out before last night, so he was not not counted. Um, and now, as Al Mohler put it on the briefing this morning, things are going fast. The Iowa caucus is already yesterday, and a week from today is the New Hampshire primary, which is going to be a New Hampshire is a you know New England state, much more moderate, um, and that's probably where we're going to see a, a big showing for Nikki Haley. Um, and I just want to remind you, the people that are putting forth Nikki Haley are the same people that gave us... John McCain and Mitt Romney. So just keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, the, the, the 2024 election is in full swing. It's kicked out into, uh, into high gear as we are racing toward November. Um, and, and so it's going to be an interesting year, but, uh, right now it, it, it looks like, as was predicted, that President Trump will be running away with the Republican nomination, and that really is no surprise. Um, I was talking to Mrs. Squirrel this morning, and we were talking about Ron DeSantis, because I've said openly I would prefer Ron DeSantis to Donald Trump. But I said to her this morning, I thought, you know, and I, I've said this before, this is not a new thought that I wish DeSantis hadn't gotten in this year. Um, this was um, running away from the beginning. This was Trump's year. And I said, it, it, in a lot of ways, he's an incumbent. He has the, the advantages of an incumbent, even though he's not technically an incumbent. But he has those advantages. And I wished... Um, DeSantis had stayed out of it. Um, I really like Ron DeSantis. I want Ron DeSantis in four years. Big time. Um, and I'm hoping that the failed presidential run of this year doesn't hurt his chances in four years. Um, so that's just something to keep in mind and watch on. I would have I would have loved for him to have sat out this year. I think Ted Cruz made an intentional decision not to throw his hat in the ring this year um, with an eye on 28. Um, so that's another possibility. Um, but yeah, politics is a a a stormy sea, and and uh, things change rapidly. Um, but this year has been Donald Trump's to lose and it doesn't look like he's losing it. Um, the Democrats strategy of, of saddling Trump with legal woes has backfired against them because it's actually increased his, um, popularity, increased his support. Every time they file a new charge against him, his donations go up and his support goes up. So it's not helping them at all. And, and I think, uh, you know, that's going to backfire even further on them because I don't see, 
really any of those charges going anywhere. Um, now, I'm not saying that some of these districts might not get convictions, but what I am saying is those convictions will be overturned. I would be very surprised if they weren't. Um, so it's going to be an interesting year. It's just this might be the strangest presidential election year of my lifetime so far. Just saying. All right, what do we got coming up today? We have scripture reading from the Legacy Standard Bible. We have prayers from the Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ, Volume 1. And it's Tuesday, so we have our study Bible level Bible study resuming. We are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 24 today, starting chapter 24. Probably not going to get too far um, for several reasons. Um, I'm looking at the first five verses for today. One, like I said, I'm tired. Um, I, I, I might wrap this up early. The other thing is that I've got a busy schedule today. And the third thing is, this is actually a kind of downer section, and I don't want to, um, you get to uh, verse 6, and the topic changes completely, and so I kind of want to do the first five verses, because it is a unified topic, um, even if it is a bit of a downer. All right, let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 2019 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins, and serve you with a quiet mind, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us now pray our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who caused all Holy Scripture to be written for our learning, grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our scripture reading today is going to be Genesis 25 and Psalm 25. And I just realized this is the thing about being sleepy. I haven't got literal words set up yet, so I've got to make my way to Genesis 25 so that we can do our Bible reading. All right. Genesis 25. Now Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. And she bore him Zimran, and Jokshan, and Medan, and Midian, and Ishbak, and Shua. Now Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. And the sons of Dedan were Ashurim, Letishim, and Leumim. And the sons of Midian were Ephah, and Epher, and Hanak, and Abida, and Eldiah. All these were the sons of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of the concubines which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts while, they, he was, while he was still living. And he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the land of the east. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life that he lived, 175 years. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of days, and he was gathered to his people. Then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar, the Hittite facing Mamre, 
the field which Abraham bought from the sons of Heth, where Abraham was buried with Sarah his wife. Now it happened after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived by Ber Lahoi Roa. Now these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant woman, bore to Abraham. And these are the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names in the order of their birth. Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, and Kadar, and Adbiel, and Mibsam, and Mishma, and Duma, and Massa. Hadad and Tima, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedema. These are the sons of Ishmael, and these are their names by their villages and by their camps, twelve princes according to their tribes. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. And he breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people. And they dwelt from Havilah to Shur, which is east of Egypt, as one goes toward Assyria, he settled in the face of all his brothers. Now these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac entreated Yahweh on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and Yahweh was moved by his entreaty. So Rebekah his wife conceived, but the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why then am I am this way? So she went to inquire of Yahweh. And Yahweh said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And her days to give birth were fulfilled, and behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterward his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was sixty years old when she gave birth to them. And the boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he had an appetite for hunted game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob had cooked stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. Then Esau said to Jacob, Please give me a swallow from the red stuff, this red stuff, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First sell me your birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And now Psalm 25 of David. To you, O Yahweh, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, let none who hope in you be ashamed. Let those who deal treacherously without cause be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Yahweh. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. In you I hope all the day. Remember, O Yahweh, your compassion and your loving kindness, for they have been from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your loving kindness, remember me, for the sake of your goodness, O Yahweh. Good and upright is Yahweh, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. May he lead the humble in justice, and may he teach the humble his ways. All the paths of Yahweh are loving kindness and truth, to those who guard his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Yahweh, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. Who is the man who fears Yahweh? He will instruct him in the way he should choose. His soul will abide in goodness, and his seed will inherit the land.
The secret of Yahweh is for those who fear him, and he will make them know his covenant. My eyes are continually toward Yahweh, for he will bring my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am alone and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. See my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all my sins. See my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with a violent hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Do not let me be ashamed, for I take refuge in you. Let integrity and uprightness guard me, for I hope in you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is the word of the Lord. And now, our reading from Daily Readings from the Life of Christ by John MacArthur. Today's devotional, Don't Worry About Tomorrow. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Matthew six thirty four. Dr. MacArthur writes, Making reasonable provisions for the future is sensible, but to worry about tomorrow is foolish and unfaithful. God is the God of tomorrow as well as the God of today and eternity. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. People are so committed to worrying that if they can't find anything in the present to worry about, they think about possible problems in the future. So Jesus assures us tomorrow will care for itself. This is not the careless philosophy of the hedonist who lives only for his present enjoyment. It is the conviction of the child of God who knows tomorrow will, be, will care for itself because it is in his heavenly Father's hands. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It is not a call to worry about that trouble. It is an invitation to concentrate on meeting the temptations, trials, opportunities, and struggles we have today, relying on our Father to protect and provide as we have need. There is enough trouble in each day without adding the distress of worry to it. God promises his grace for tomorrow and for every day thereafter and throughout eternity. But he does not give us grace for tomorrow now. He gives his grace only a day at a time, as it is needed, not as it may be anticipated. So begin today to focus on the issues of today. Don't start dwelling on tomorrow until it becomes today. Ask yourself, what else might Jesus have in mind by commanding us to maintain our full attention on the day, the hour, the moment we are currently living in. What do we lose by living in either the past or the future? Oh, timely, timely, as we are thinking about the election and, and everything going on in our nation and in our world. Very timely message. All right, it is Tuesday. We are in our Study Bible Level Bible Study I'm going to read the first four verses of Deuteronomy 24, and then we will talk about them. Um, as I said, it's not the most pleasant of subjects, but it is an important subject. And it's a very important subject in our culture because divorce is such a rampant problem in our culture. Deuteronomy chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. If a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she goes out of his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before Yahweh, and you shall not bring sin on the land which Yahweh your God gives you as an inheritance. First off, quoting directly from the MacArthur Study Bible, 
This passage does not command, commend, condone, or even suggest divorce. Rather, it recognizes that divorce occurs and permits it only on restricted ground. Um, this is a case of um, kind of a case law, not uh, um, uh, not a uh, commandment. It's a it's a you know if this happens, then this happens. So let's let's break it down here. A man takes a wife and marries her. And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce. The, the indecency would seem to imply some sort of um, sexual sin. Um, this is something short of adultery. Um, it's some sort of impurity. It can't be adultery because adultery would be punishable by execution. So it's something short of, of adultery, but it is some sort of indecency. And, and if a man finds this indecency in his wife. This is not a for any reason. There's a reason here for the divorce, although the reason is not specified. Excuse me, just a moment. Of course there's bad churches. Um, then go find a good one. And if you have to drive to get to it, then it's worth the drive, I would say. You know? So get in your car and go. I mean, how bad do you want it? I mean, how important is the truth to you? The joys of a live webcast. When you have to blow your nose, you have to do something. I have no commercial breaks, so I don't get to take care of that stuff on a commercial break. Um, so there, there, is a, there is a reason for this divorce. It is not just for any reason. Um, there is some sort of, uh, the, the word is indecency. There's some sort of uncleanness in the wife, um, and he legally divorces her. Now, God hates divorce, Malachi 2.16. He has purposed marriage to be for life, you know, one man, one woman, for life. And we understand that, as Jesus said in Matthew 19, God allowed divorce because of sinfulness, because of man's hard heart. Um, and I think this is meaning that, that, and this is again a case where when we, when we truly look at it and understand it, there is a, um, the hard heart that is spoken of is referring to our inability to forgive. And so there is a, a sense in which, you know, this is rescuing someone from a, a and I don't want to use the term unhappy marriage, but a, 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 a contentious marriage where there would be, a, you know, because man's heart is hard, we don't forgive as we ought and because we don't forgive as we ought, then working past something is often very difficult and very painful, um, which would be a much better situation if we just were able to forgive. Um, and, and I think we all know couples, either married or divorced, um, probably more common to be divorced in this day and age, but I think we all know couples that have an animosity between the husband and wife because of some unforgiven transgression in the past. 
And that unforgiveness is really due to hard-heartedness. Um, in our hard-heartedness, we don't ask for forgiveness. And in our hard-heartedness, we do not grant that forgiveness as we should. Um, and that's just man's sinful nature. So divorce was allowed for the hardness of heart. So he, he divorces her. Puts it in her, gives her a certificate of divorce, so it's it's a it's a formal legal matter, and then she goes and and marries someone else. And it says here that you know, then the second husband dies or divorces her, she can't return to her first husband. He is not to take her back. And this is as though because she has been defiled. Um, and that such a defilement is not acceptable to God. So what constitutes that defilement? The only possible thing that we can derive from this passage, the defilement is because she remarried and has slept with her new husband. And that the first husband is not supposed to take her back. So when she remarried, she became an adulteress. Um, and because of that, she is not to be taken back by her first husband. So illegitimate divorce proliferates adultery, to quote the MacArthur Study Bible again. Um this is, you know, when 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 someone gets divorced and they remarry, the sin of adultery occurs. Now, it's forgivable. It's not the unforgivable sin. Um, you know, but don't dismiss it as unimportant. We were talking about sexual purity last week or the week before and how important it is and how diminished in value our society views sexual purity, chastity, marital fidelity, um, just, you know, this is a very pornified society. Um, I was pleased to learn in the last couple of weeks, I'm not sure when it took effect, but I think it was probably January 1st it took effect. Montana now has a law which makes it much more difficult for you to pick up your phone and stream pornography. I think that's wonderful. I would love to see it outlawed. Um, but I, that's not, I don't see it happening. So let's look at those passages in Matthew where Jesus talks about divorce, just to kind of give us a little bit of perspective on what Moses was saying here. In Matthew 5, 31 and 32, it says, Now it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. This is actually quoting from this passage. But I say to you, Jesus said, that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this is going back to that idea that, that because of divorce, you end up having more adultery. Now, it says except for reasons of sexual immorality. The purpose is she's already committed adultery in that point. You can't make her commit adultery. But if she has not been sexually immoral and you divorce her and she remarries, you made her commit adultery. Now, it doesn't mean you held her down and forced her, but it means that you put her in a position to commit adultery that she would not be in if she had stayed married to you. Now, There was a argument 
between a couple of uh, different rabbis at about the time of Jesus. This is a contemporary thing with Jesus. There was one school of thought that said you can only divorce for cases of sexual immorality. The other school of thought was you can divorce for any reason. Sounds familiar, right? Jesus definitely takes the side of only divorce is only allowable. So there was no, you know, the 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 thing in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, talking about give her a certificate of divorce, it's not talking about paperwork. And that was where the one school went. If you do everything right, you know, if you do it in writing, you can't just say, I divorce you, get out. You have to do it in writing. But if you do it in writing, it's fine. No, that was not the thing. It wasn't a question of paperwork and regulations and everything. It was a question of, you know, a formal process. It wasn't just, it wasn't whimsical. It was and, and I don't mean humorous by whimsical. I mean, it wasn't done on a whim. There was a, a reason for it and it was formally done. Um, but you can't divorce your wife for just any reason that she displeases you. You know, she burns your toast in the morning. You can't divorce her. That's not biblical grounds for divorce. Really, the biblical grounds for divorce are adultery, unfaithfulness, abandonment, which is unfaithfulness. These are the biblical grounds for divorce, not doing anything that displeases you. Is the 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 rule in Deuteronomy twenty four provides divorce as a concession to protect the woman who is divorced, not to justify or legalize divorce in all circumstances. This is again quoting from uh, MacArthur Study Bible. So. Divorce was allowed only in cases of adultery. Um, the, the assumption is that divorced people will remarry because if you divorce a woman, she become you make her commit adultery, meaning that when somebody marries a divorced woman, they commit adultery because they're marrying somebody else's wife. Um, so any remarriage is considered adultery. Um, so this is an important thing. Now, Jesus also talks about divorce in Matthew 19. Now, Matthew 19, 3, um, the, the, uh, those who are questioning Jesus say, you know, why did Moses command us to divorce our wives? which is a total distortion of what he actually said. God doesn't command divorce. God allows divorce. God permits it, but it is never the ideal. It is never the, the, the ideal is forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, so why did, why did Moses command us to divorce our wives? I, I always, always crack up when I see that. But uh, verses uh, 4 through 9 of Matthew 19, Jesus said, And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. So, as I said, it was a hotly debated issue. Um, here I have it. It's the... Rabbi Shammai and the Rabbi Hillel. The, the Shammaites, you know, said divorce 
is only permissible if the wife is guilty of sexual immorality. And the, the Hillites, you know, divorce is permissible um, basically indiscriminately. So Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 is not a command to divorce your wife. It is an allowance, and it's a limitation on remarriage in the event of divorce. So Moses doesn't command divorce. Moses permits divorce. Jesus here is clearly siding with the, you know, not for any reason uh, school of thought. And it says because of the hard-heartedness of man. So divorce was only to be a last resort response to hard-hearted sexual immorality or, as I said before, because the, the heart was unforgiving. A hard heart is unforgiving. Um, so you could have a truly repentant woman, but the husband is hard-hearted and he just can't forgive it. And in that case, you know, divorce would be allowed um, as opposed to whole loveless marriage thing. Um, but divorce is far too common today. And it's really a very sad situation. Um, it's caused all kinds of things. I, uh, working in the local school district, I really had not realized how many broken homes there were around here um, until I started working in the school district because it was not nearly this common when I was a school kid. Most of my kid, I mean, I had, I had friends whose parents had divorced and remarried. I had friends whose parents had divorced and not remarried. Um, but it was not the majority. Now it is. Um, and, and that's a, a sad fact and it ought not to be. And it's another sign of the moral degradation of our society. Um, so I think we, we really do need to think hard about what the Bible says about marriage, divorce, remarriage, all of that. Um, and, and so that's something that, that, uh, you should bring out, but okay. Verse five, let's get into a bit of more happy topic. When a man takes a new wife, he shall not go out with the army, nor be charged with any duty. He shall be free at home one year and shall give gladness to his wife whom he has taken. So during the first year of marriage, a man was not to have any responsibilities outside the home. Um, and this would be, you know, military service, government service, anything that would take him away from the home. This is not saying he doesn't work. This is saying that he doesn't, um, you know, go off for months with the army or, or anything like that. He was to be free from those duties. And the reason is he's supposed to devote that year to his marriage. This gives the couple, you know, the opportunity to have a child. Um, you know, biology functions. Um, so there, there are nothing that would take him away from those duties to his wife. And also it allows them time together to develop their relationship. Um, it, it, it removes or minimizes the distractions from the wedding, from the marriage, so that a couple can devote that first year of marriage to really getting to know each other and to adjusting to married life and, you know, to perhaps have, a, have their first child. So this is... Um, this was this is a happy thing. Um, as I say often when I'm preparing to 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 do a, a wedding, as I, I'll say to the couple, and this is this is not even before we be, this is before we begin 
the premarital counseling. This is in the initial meeting when somebody comes to me to, to do a wedding. Um, I point out the fact, and we talk about the average cost of weddings, which is the average cost of a wedding in the United States right now is in the twenty to $30,000 range. And I point out that this is not a good thing. The, the fact of the matter is that there is such an emphasis on the wedding that there is a de-emphasis on the marriage. A, 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 for a Christian couple, you know, don't go off to Spain or Hawaii or Italy or, you know, Tibet or someplace to do your wedding. Don't make your family and friends spend thousands of dollars to go to your wedding. Have your wedding at the local church where you are going to settle your lives. Let the people with whom you share your lives witness your vows in your local church. And don't saddle yourself with thousands of dollars in debt. Don't, you know, if your parents are paying for the wedding, don't saddle them with thousands of dollars in debt. Now, you know, if you want to have an outdoor wedding at a park or a farm or, you know, some, we have wedding venues around here. My, my daughter worked as a wedding planner. So I, I'm, you know, reasonably familiar with, you know, they had, they had their wedding, my daughter and son-in-law, um, which I officiated. That wedding was done at a rented wedding site. And basically it was an outdoor wedding with a reception in a, in a, in a barn, um, obviously a very clean barn, not an active animal barn. It's used as a wedding venue. Um, but it was only, you know, an hour away from where they lived. Not, you know, we didn't have to go to Tibet. Um, I have another, I have a friend whose daughter and son-in-law got married in Hawaii. And they all had to go to Hawaii for the wedding. Don't do that to people. You know, your wedding is not so important. It can't take place in the local church. Um, even, you know, the prince and princess of Wales were, for all intents and purposes, even though thousands were spent on that wedding, because, I mean, it's a wedding. It was a state wedding and everything in England. I mean, it was the heir to the throne um, marrying his future queen. But essentially it was a wedding in a local church. <laughs> they didn't go to, you know, Spain or Italy or, you know, Tibet. <laughs> I don't know why Tibet has come into mind. I, I know of no people who have gone to Tibet for a wedding, but, uh, um, you know, some exotic location, Hawaii, whatever, the Bahamas, you know, and if you live in the Bahamas, get married in the Bahamas. If you live in Minnesota and it's a January wedding, okay, get married in the Bahamas. But you know what I'm saying? Get married in your local church. Don't, don't focus so much on the wedding. Focus on the marriage. And this uh, Deuteronomy 24.5 is saying, take that first year and focus on the marriage minimize those distractions outside the home. You know, it's not saying don't work. It's not saying don't support yourselves. It's saying, you know, drop those other duties that would take you away from your family to the point that you can focus on the marriage for that first year. And so this is, you know, no military service or other duty. Um, now, obviously, that's not the law in the United States. So there would have been a lot of people who uh, got married before shipping overseas in World War II who wouldn't have been able to ship overseas. Um, but the principle is there. Don't, don't uh, get married and rush off. It's, it's important to spend that time establishing the relationship. Now, remember, these are, you know... The marriages in 
biblical times, um, as the marriages in many places in the world today were of an arranged sort. So you didn't have the, um, you know, it wasn't the romantic notion of marriage that we have where a couple meet and they fall in love and they get married. Um, quite often a couple met, got married, and then had to fall in love. And so here was this first year to allow that relationship to grow and to be established. And that's an important thing. So let's end on that upbeat, you know, get married and focus on that wedding. Um, all right. And let us now recite our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. The colic for the second Sunday of Epiphany. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen. And for peace we pray. O God, the author of peace and lover of concord, to know you as eternal life and to serve you as perfect freedom. Defend us, your humble servants, in all assaults of our enemies, that we, surely trusting in your defense, may not fear the power of any adversaries. Through the might of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then for the unrepentant we pray. Merciful God, you desire not the death of sinners, but rather that they should turn to you and live. And through your only Son, you have revealed yourself as the God who pardons iniquity. Have mercy on the unrepentant and those who do not believe. Awaken in them by your word and Holy Spirit a deep sense of their sinfulness and peril. Take from them all ignorance, hardness of heart, and contempt of your word. Grant them to know and feel that there is no other name under heaven given among men by which they must be saved, but only the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so bring them home and number them among your children, that they may be yours forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen. All right, folks, that is Squirrel Chatter for this Tuesday. I bid you the very best of days. Um, as you go through the day, remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.